This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. Spreading freedom across the nation. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Team Buck, welcome to the Freedom Hut. Great to have you. Really appreciate you uh, hanging out with me today, as always. An honor, a pleasure, and a privilege to have you here in the hut. I uh, wanted to take a little time today to talk a bit about, let's talk about Obama. Someone that you've heard me discuss in the past. I've only got, what is it now, a little over a week before Trump is inaugurated or before the inauguration. Only got a few days left of Obama. I have to say, I feel like in a lot of ways I've come of age or maybe become a a fully functioning adult in the age of Obama. When Bush was president, I was a a 20-something Uh, 20-something CIA officer who thought he was uh, indestructible and, yeah, pretty awesome. And over the Obama years, I've made a complete career transition. And not that that really matters to our discussion right now, but I'm just saying it feels like two very different parts of my life. Uh, The Bush years, I was CIA. The Obama years, I was more or less. uh, I was uh, media um, and now from CIA to for a time, CNN and the blaze. And now I look at, at what's happened over the last eight years. And I have to say, it's been quite a ride for all of us. Now I'm talking about what's happened in this country while Obama has been president. We had eight years of an Obama presidency that I have to say, with the exception of bin Laden's we can say, I mean, should we, is assassination the wrong word? I guess the more proper term would be a targeted killing, but we all know that bin Laden wasn't wanted dead or alive, right? He was, he was going to be donezo at the end of that whole thing, I think. I do not think that there was going to be any circumstance where, hey, look, he could have had a suicide vest on. They don't know. But uh, other than Osama bin Laden, uh, that raid, I can't think of a time when I was... When I, when I felt like there was a an Obama who was a president of goodwill and good faith for all Americans and, and really was able to sort of rise above the partisan tide. I can't think of a time in eight years where President Obama showed himself to be really magnanimous. It's interesting because Obama came into office with greater support uh, and headwinds at his, well, I guess, no. What do you call it when the wind is at your back? Well, let's say the wind at his back. Headwinds would be the wrong kind of wind. As you can tell, I don't know much about sailing, and I'm going to come clean with you all right now. 
I don't much like sailing either. Don't really like don't really like being on boats. For a guy who wears boat shoes all the time, kind of weird. But I wear boat shoes mostly because I have wide. Okay, until TMI, as my little sister would say, TMI. Uh, back to Obama. He had a tremendous amount of support. That's not even really stating it properly. He had more than a tremendous amount of support. He had the love of the media. Um, do we have a clip of uh, a decade of media drooling over Barack Obama? Do we have that? Can we play some of it? Please do. You can see it in the crowds. The thrill, the hope. How they surged toward him. You are looking at an American political phenomenon. You know, you are the, the equivalent of a rock star in yeah. politics. Right. Many people afterwards, they weren't sure how to pronounce your name, but they were moved <laughs> by you. People were crying. You tapped into something. You touched people. I have to tell you, you know, it's, it's part of reporting this case, uh, uh, this election. The feeling most people get when they hear a Barack Obama speech, my, I felt this thrill right. going up my leg. I well, mean, I don't have that too often. Steady. No, seriously. It's a Even Keith Olbermann's like, whoa, he steady. He speaks about America in a way that has nothing to do with politics. It has to do with the feeling we have about our country, and, I, and, and that is an objective assessment. On the bus ride along the snowy road to Lebanon, Brian Williams. I showed him this week's Newsweek, hot off the press. That's it? All right. Hat tip newsbusters for that montage. We need a montage. If you haven't seen Team America, I feel weird recommending that movie to you just because I think that uh, for some of you, if you see the uncut version, it's a little much. But it's I love it. I think it's a very clever, fun movie. And I'm not somebody who particularly likes animated or stop motion, whatever they call that, stop motion films. But Team America is is an icon of American culture in many ways. But they needed a montage for Obama here to show us that the media was just completely in love with him in a way that was really unbecoming. But it makes sense when you break it down. Love of Obama is a was a and still will be a career enhancer if you work in journalism. I've never really heard a satisfactory answer as to how uh, the left has been able to so thoroughly take over, not just to be a majority but to dominate almost to the point of exclusion in the areas of uh, academics well, i should say tenured professors at fancy universities and in media and in hollywood i know that it's a lot of it's based on self-selection and so the people that are there because they're leftists have an emotionalized view of their own importance and the things they support it's not about policy differences. It's about are you a good person? And so they, they're, they feel so self-righteous that they feel a righteousness in ostracizing other people. I get all that. But you'd think that there could be a little, considering the country's roughly 50-50 split, you'd think that we could do a little, uh, have a little more room in some of these areas. And in journalism, journalism is fascinating to me in this regard because a lot of journalists on it don't even think that they're biased. I had an uh, an argument once with a friend, and I had a few of them that I would actually consider to be friends, uh, at CNN, and she was flabbergasted at the notion that I thought that a vast majority of CNN's reporting uh, not was was really partisan reporting dressed up as something else, that it tilts left, and that all of the hosts are left, 
without exception, to, to varying degrees, but they're all left of center. They're all Democrats. And they're obvious in that they're all Democrats and that anybody who's not a Democrat could pick up on this. And this was a person that I, I knew and, and had a good relationship with. And she just looked at me like I was from some other universe, like like I had somehow entered into the Virgo supercluster. Google that one uh, from far, far, far away. This was some craziness. But the journalists absolutely love Obama. They always have loved Obama and his failures and the, I, I think, really petty and an often vindictive streak that he had as president uh, was something that was just never given any real attention, never given any real reporting. It was career enhancing to love Obama. And now we look back and he's giving a speech. I think it's tonight at nine and uh, nine Eastern in Chicago. Maybe I'll stay up and live tweet it. Get ready for the snark. Oh, buck slap, buck slap, buck slap. I got to bring back the buck slap. I, I've been thinking about this, by the way, and I know I say things sometimes and I don't necessarily institute it right away. I've, I got a, I got a lot on my mind and a lot, a lot of stuff going on, so I can't always get to uh, you know the history podcast. But I think bringing back buck slap should be pretty easy. I also had a thought that it would be kind of fun to start doing a if this movie were real life segment, right? And so we can just talk about how if a movie were real life, this is what would have happened in it instead of what we were shown. I think that could be pretty amusing sometimes. I was thinking about the movie Chef, which I watched with uh, Miss Molly on the way back up from Florida. And it's a really cute, nice movie, but it's so so unrealistic. They might as well have, it's just about a guy running a food truck who leaves his business after he's got a tyrannical boss as a he's a chef and he leaves the owner behind and all this stuff fits falls into place and it's so cutesy at the end I'm like this is so ridiculous this is not how it happens this is sending a really bad message to people you know quit your job and all of a sudden you'll within a couple of days you'll fix your family your life will be better you'll have a new job it's like no quit your job and you're not gonna have health care for a while and you're gonna be running up credit card bills and you're gonna be stressed as heck uh, in many cases, not in all cases, but in many. But I digress. I also think Mrs. Doubtfire, which people have done parodies of online, would be a fantastic. If this movie were real, you could do a whole thing about how th he doesn't get joint custody at the end. He gets locked up and probably never gets to see his children again. Uh, this is the Robin Williams movie where he dresses up as an elderly, as a as a geriatric uh, Englishwoman. I'm sure you've all seen that movie. It's a great movie, but it's completely ridiculous. Right? You could do this with other ones too. All right. Back to Obama. So think, let me know what you think about that one. If this movie were real, I think that would be kind of a... I know I love action movie quote Friday, uh, and I only limit it to Fridays because I, I, want it to, I want it to be special. But if this movie were real is another segment that we could start doing maybe. Uh, you just call and be like, you know, Buck, if this movie were real, we could just go from there. Um, so Barack Obama made a lot of promises. He made a lot of promises that he clearly was not going to be able to fulfill, right? That... This is the moment that the rise of the seas and all that stuff, that we began to heal the planet. I heard this stuff and thought to myself, how could anybody be taken in by this? But people were, including those who think of themselves as intellectually elite, as astute observers of the political scene, journalists all over the place. Uh, Obama was supposed to be a transformative figure by his own words. He was going to fundamentally transform the United States. I don't think he fundamentally transformed it, but I do think that it's quite it feels quite different in many ways now than it did before. First of all, the promise 
of the first African-American president as a great racial healer uh, has been largely, uh, I think that's been a promise that's largely been dashed on the rocks of reality or crashed onto the rocks. It, it is not what has happened with the rise of the Black Lives Matter movement and, and other incidents that received a tremendous amount of national attention across the country, including the Trayvon Martin case, which is still, he is still considered a, a martyr of the movement. And the Democratic Party has, these, has women who, uh, mothers and other family members, who will show up at political events for the martyrs of the movement even in the case of, say, Trayvon Martin or Mike Brown, where you had somebody who was uh, acting as a hooligan and attacked somebody and was shot for it. But they're still martyrs of the movement because it's just uh, the visceral imagery that was, in some cases, fabricated. Right. Trayvon Martin, if you believed the way the media was covering it, was a, a an adorable, smiling 12 year old. When in reality, he was like a hundred and eighty pound, 18 year old who was fond of taking, uh, you know, sort of selfies and photos of himself where he, he could look a bit like somebody you wouldn't want to tangle with in a fight. Uh, but the racial healing aspect of this administration didn't occur. It, it is a milestone that President Obama is the first black president. That certainly is to be celebrated and, and is historic. And that's just those are just statements of fact. But that was established really on day one. Then when you look at the day one of his presidency, when you look at the duration and what what really happened, I, I know it's almost a sort of right wing reaction um, to say that, and you, you sort of get a reactionary right wing impulse all the time that everything Obama does is bad. It even became a joke back in the days when I would do red eye. Uh, we'd say, thanks, Obama. You know, we'd be talking about how, I don't know, they they banned ice cream socials at some school because the you know the the kids were partying too hard or something I don't, and we thanks obama right we everything was it became a joke because everything was about obama but when you really do look at the major issues that he was dealing with or that he addressed uh, he was a hyper partisan i don't really think that's a contestable statement people would contest it but i don't think they could do so in good faith the passage of Obamacare without a single Republican vote was one of the most brazen acts of hyperpartisanship. Well, certainly the most brazen that, that I can think of from a legislative perspective in my lifetime. Uh, the constant undermining and haranguing and browbeating of Republicans, not because they may have been wrong on some issues, but because they were unfeeling, unthinking, bad people, that somehow under the Obama presidency, every disagreement in politics was turned into a referendum of the character of those on each side. And of course, his side was always good. And the constant creation of straw men, you know, some people say, oh, you know, we should just let everyone die. I say there should be health care. You know, that sort of thing it happened all the time. He was constantly constantly creating false arguments and then demolishing them, which, as any of you know who have been in an argument with anyone, is among the most annoying tactics you can come across. When someone creates a false argument, won't address your argument on the merits or in any capacity, and they create a false argument, and then they want to talk about how much they have annihilated the argument you're not making, that's really a description of how Obama went about his eight years in office. 
There's also something really condescending and embarrassing about the way that not just the media, but much of the world treated President Obama. They didn't necessarily think of it that way. But to give a man a Nobel Peace Prize before he has done anything as president and to do it because he's the first black president, right, to do it because of the historic nature of the electoral victory, but not based on anything done in office, there's something uh, a bit too much there. There's something obvious and over the top. It's, oh, well, by praising Obama, we're showing how great we are. This was one of the main characteristics of Obama's presidency uh, all throughout, that praise of Obama became a form of virtue signaling in and of itself. That if you were supportive of Obama, you were a good person. You were supporting the first black president. You weren't a racist. You were one of the good people. You were one of the worthwhile, thoughtful emotionally in touch, intelligent people because you were supporting the first black president. This had a corrosive effect on many of the discussions that would happen throughout Obama's presidency because, of course, then uh, the opposite also had to be considered true by many. If you didn't support Obama, it was something. I mean, Bill Maher very, very much made this argument in the open all the time. Any opposition to Obama was rooted in racism at some level, great or small. Among the most intellectually lazy positions that one could take, but an effective one because of the power that accusations, no matter how off the wall, no matter how unwarranted, accusations of racism have so much power to destroy. One of the things I'm hoping from a Trump presidency is that that will end. I want to talk more about the specifics of the Obama years, mostly because, guys, you know, we can exhale on this one. It's over. The Obama presidency is basically over. I find that you really have to actively celebrate what is good in your day-to-day life. You have to take moments to appreciate every little thing. You know, I, I, Every time you have a really good breakfast, every time you have a really good night's sleep, you should actually take a moment and go, wow, that was great. Because otherwise you get into a negative mindset. You go into a negative spiral. Because there's always going to be aspirations that are unfulfilled, always challenges that you haven't overcome. There'll always be dreams that feel like they are getting more distant or perhaps you think maybe even some have ended. You've got to appreciate the day-to-day, the small things. I think that's also true in news and in politics. Yeah, we've got Trump, we've got problems, we've got all this other stuff, but you know what, let's take a moment here, a few moments together, we come back, say, all right, the Obama years are over. That's a good thing. We'll be right back. The Buck Sexton Show. Discover more at theblaze.com slash radio. The Blaze Radio Network. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. You're listening to the Buck Sexton Show only on the Blaze Radio Network. Sponsor this half hour team is SilencerShop.com. Silencer Shop is the 
place to go for a silencer, which is a must-have accessory for your firearm. It makes shooting more enjoyable by reducing the blast to a much more comfortable level. Look, I'm going to tell you the truth. I hate noise. Excessive noise drives me nuts. I also hate whistling, but that's a specific thing that I think some people have. I hate I hate loud noise, which living in New York City means that I'm constantly trying to just go, you are a hollow reed. Stress just passes through you. Uh if you're out shooting, there's no reason for you to ever come home and have ringing in your ears. I know with EarPro, you know, some of you are fine with it, but first of all, EarPro, really good EarPro tends to be a little, little heavy at least on my head. Reduce the, the reduce the sound, reduce the recoil. Silencer is the way you want to go for that reason, and the best place to go to get your silencer is silencershop.com. They'll help you with the whole buying experience. They've got a fantastic selection, great prices, great service. Check it out. silencershop.com, silencershop.com. Help make the world, help make your world a quieter place. Um, speaking of silencers, oh, you're going to like this one. This is going to be a transition where you're like, oh, word. Yes, correct. I've got it ready. Here we go. Um, hold on. I just lost the piece, though. This is going to happen to me sometimes. I get all excited, and then I realize that I have to actually find what I was going to talk to you about. But our friend Sean Davis over at The Federalist has a fantastic piece on silencers that I just wanted to bring your attention for a minute. People think that silencers are like they are in the movies. Uh, Sean's piece here in The Federalist is progressives don't understand how gun silencers work. Here are some facts to help them. Uh, he goes into the actual decibel levels of silencers uh, on different weapons, for example, on, on an AR-15. Uh, unsuppressed, it is approximately 165 decibels. A jet engine from 100 feet away is approximately 140 decibels. And then he says the, uh, that OSHA bans employees from exposing employees to 115 decibels for more than 15 minutes. So he, physical pain and potential permanent damage be begins at 140. Eardrums rupture at 150 decibels. If you fire an AR without a suppressor, the overpressure generated by the gunshot will blow out your eardrums as well as those of anyone in the nearby vicinity. He goes on. It's a great piece here. Uh, what, what I think is interesting is that any of you who I fired suppressed, I fired ARs, MP5s, all manner of handguns from the 22, uh, nine millimeter. I think, yeah, I fired 45 suppressed back in the agency days. Uh, I think that one I actually have to think about. All the rest though are for sure. But people think it's like it is in movie movies where it's pew 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 pew. You know, you run away pew 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 pew. That's not what a silencer sounds like because there's an effort underway right now to make it less difficult to buy silencers because people realize that what if you can own a gun why can't you own a silencer it sounds like someone's taking a baseball bat and cracking it nearby the bug sexton show on the blaze radio network Show. So, I, since, I, since I talk a lot about silencers here, because one of our wonderful sponsors in the show is Silencer Shop, and we have a great piece from Sean Davis, and I should, uh, I'll tweet at Sean just to give him a shout-out. We should have, uh, I should have had him on today. I didn't uh, think about this before him, but I, I read his piece last night, and we, Sean knows we love him. Um, uh, and uh, But his piece is great because he goes into the whole silencer thing, and I have to say, it is, there is a little bit of disappointment the first time that speaking of silencers, you, you, can you hear the emergency vehicles, the fire truck, whatever outside my house? I swear, 
New York City, when they can come up with earmuffs that are sort of, you know, you can like press a button and they go on and you press a button and they go off and they don't feel weird in your ears. I think I'm just going to walk around with them all the time. I've actually, some of my best rock concert experiences have been, I, I put little foamies in. I, I don't know if you have to call them little foamies, but that's what I think they can be called. Now, and then you can actually enjoy the music and not, and not walk. There's nothing fun about walking out of a concert and being, what? Who? That was great. That's not cool. I, I do not enjoy that. I don't like being at restaurant. I don't like being at, at weddings because that's happened to me too. Where you're sitting there, the band is, you know, wake up in a cold sweat. And you're like, it's so loud. I'm going to wake up in a cold sweat because the band is right next to my table. That's too loud. At a restaurant where you have to yell. Um, I'm also very protective of my voice because this is how I communicate with all of you. So I don't, don't want to lose my voice. Uh, where was I on this though? I digress. Or do I? Or do I? Um, oh yeah, silencers. But yeah, you watch movies and it's always pew 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 pew. It's like it's like they're firing a little laser gun. If you fire a twenty two caliber handgun with a silencer on it, it is kind of a pew pew situation. I just like making that little sound effect. By the way, uh, I, I'm enjoying my onomatopoeias right now. What's up? Uh, but if you fire a rifle, if you fire a uh, AR, for example, with a silencer, it makes it makes a, a bang. It's just not a bang that hurts and possibly permanently damages your hearing. You, you, it's not like you could walk up behind somebody on a street and fire a silenced AR and nobody would know that that something that a loud noise had just occurred. So um, that's another one. And, and then you can get into sort of the... Buck, be careful with your sort of... Uh, you can get into how making an actual illegal suppressor, if you're a bad guy, is not hard at all. So you're really just hyper-controlling access to a firearm accessory that primarily, in 99.9% .9 of situations, would just be used to allow people to shoot more comfortably and enjoy shooting more. And also, if they have, you know, if you have to use a firearm in the defense of your home, for example, you probably, uh, you don't necessarily, at least, want to have your ears ringing, and that could be disorienting. So, that's my little, that's my spiel, if you will, about silencers. And uh, for more on this, uh, silencershop.com. I'm sorry, <laughs> that's sponsor. Thefederalist.com, see? I just I just got confused there for a second. Uh, but they're, they're tr this is all coming up now because there is the, I think what they're calling it, the Hearing Protection Act or something. There's a bill in D.C. Uh, that might actually get passed that would make it easier to buy a silencer, um, which would be great. Great for those who like shooting, great for our sponsor. Uh, so yay, all around. Sean Davis, co-founder of The Federalist, is the author of that piece on thefederalist.com. We can post it online, and you can share your thoughts there. But yeah, I just want to be clear. Again, if it were real life in movies, when they fire a, silencer, a silenced AR or even a silenced MP5, it would be wap, 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 wap. It's loud. It's not pew, pew, pew. It's wap, 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 wap. Like someone's taking a stick and, and hitting the side of a, you know, a car or something with it. Loud, but not break your hearing loud. Uh, I was going to talk about Obama's presidency. Instead, I started talking about silencers. That can happen um, uh, just because of the stories that get muddled in one's head. Um, so I'm mixing up the rundown today. Uh, let me get back to the presidency and assessing it. 888 900 
888-900-3393. We'll be back right after the break. Buck Sexton. Dispensing the truth. On the Blaze Radio Network. Team, welcome back. So uh, some closing thoughts on the close of the Obama administration. Uh, it's not, not been successful from the perspective of the promises made at the beginning, but I think we all knew that was the case. If you're a progressive leftist who wanted to see a much larger state, who wanted to see the apparatus of government grow, its powers grow, and to see a a hardening of the identity politics that is really the beating heart and soul of the Democratic Party now. Uh, the Democratic Party tells people, you are this, therefore you must believe that, and you must not trust them, them being uh, Republicans and primarily white male Republicans. You cannot trust them. Uh, even though there are white males in the Democratic Party, they're Democrats, so they get a pass. They're the good people, right? But the white male Republicans can't trust them. They're bad. Uh, identity politics has a really destructive effect on everything, our day-to-day lives, the way we uh, are both told to interact with each other in the workplace and forced to because of government mandates, because of special protections and policies put in place now that benefit some. Remember, there's no such thing as a special uh, protection that is not also a privilege, right? So people are getting benefits that others don't get based upon their identity. And and this is a, a function of government action. This isn't just a function of perception in society. This is really dangerous, bad stuff. But whether we're talking about affirmative action or any number of other uh, government instituted social engineering programs, it has gotten worse, I think, under the Obama administration because they pushed this stuff so aggressively, and there was a spokesperson for these policies and President Obama, spokesman, who, for, for whom there was sort of this invul- no sort of buck, there was this invulnerability, uh, there was this invulnerability of not being able to really be criticized because if you criticize him, you're racist, especially on policies that involve race. So that's coming to an end. I think that was a very... Uh, stultifying is that a word like made stopped it hobbled it Uh, that was a a very negative uh, feature of the Obama administration the conversations on race were I think much more closed and rancorous than they had been before President Obama was in office and it's a shame it shouldn't have been that way and it didn't have to be that way on foreign policy I've talked about that so much that there's Really not a whole lot of wrap up that needs to be done here. Obama wanted an America that was less involved in the world. This is all based upon a foundational fallacy that if only America was not doing so much in some places, there would be this indigenous, organic, uh, localized response to things in the rest of the world. Right? Local control everywhere. You know, the notion of, of federalism in America, local control versus federal control. Democrats kind of hate that, although they're starting to like it now that Trump is president. But in the rest of the world, people in charge of their own affairs is always a better thing. And they'll be in charge of their own affairs if America does less. Not true. 
This makes it more problematic. Not true. China, Russia, Iran, any number of other countries take the opportunity to more deeply invest themselves in the affairs of other countries when America is not standing there, especially in the case of allied nations. Uh, it is really a scandal, and it is a betrayal what has happened in Ukraine. We promised to defend them if they gave up nukes. We promised in writing the Budapest Memorandum. You can check it out yourself online and read the whole thing. You'll see it. It was us, the U.K., and, of course, Russia. Ukraine's been carved up by the Russians. You could say we've done sanctions, but we could have done more. Do I think we should go to war with Russia over Ukraine? No. But could we have helped the Ukrainians a lot and said, sorry, what were the Russians going to do? Were they going to go to war with us? You know, it's always you can always take this position of, well, if we get more aggressive, then the other side is going to go to the mat. You should think about that, though. Will they really? So if we take the Obama administration's policies and just play them out around the world, we can never really punch the bully in the nose because then the bully's really going to come after us. This is not a good way to run a foreign policy. This is not wise. This is not something that should be emulated by this administration or by any future administration. So, I mean, the incoming administration, I mean, with the Trump, the Trump team as it's all coming together. Uh, you also have Obama speaking in Chicago, which is interesting because Chicago has a, a murder rate that is just just dis disgraceful. I don't know what else. I don't know how else to describe it. Horrific. You have young children being shot. You have this gang warfare on the south and west sides of Chicago that the police there can't seem to get a handle on, and the the uh, citizen or the the residents of Chicago don't seem to be, have any real hope that it's getting better anytime soon. This is Obama's chosen hometown. Not really, remember his hometown's really Honolulu, which I always think is so interesting. We think of him as Obama from Chicago, but he's really Obama from Honolulu. Obama, who went to private school in Hawaii, yeah. But, oh, yeah, he's a south side of Chicago guy, sure. Uh, that this doesn't bother people more. Look, Bush did it, but Bush is not a Texan, really. Bush is a Connecticut Brahmin who went to Yale and Harvard Business School without having to exert himself too much. You know, you, you look at these individuals, never mind the Clintons, who had no connection to New York until after the presidency. So this keeps happening, and I'm like, why is this... Why is this not something that irks people a little bit more? You know, Obama, Obama, the Chicago politician. Yeah, he learned politics in Chicago, but he's not a Chicagoan in the sense that that's his hometown. Really? Well, but I guess Honolulu is kind of far away. Honolulu is great. Every time I start getting too fed up with New York or with working in media or with any of the above, I'm like, maybe I'll just move to Hawaii. I don't know what I'd do there, but I'd find a way to do something. And I'd be within striking distance of the beach and just eat a lot of mangoes and hang out in a bathing suit all the time. I feel like this is maybe maybe this is the secret sauce that I need in life. But we'll discuss this another time. I'll set up the Freedom Hut from Honolulu. Although I wouldn't, I don't know, I wouldn't do Honolulu. I would pick some other place in Hawaii. That's I just need good Wi-Fi. Uh, oh wait, I, I gotta I gotta get this in. This was amazing. This has nothing to do with anything I was really just talking about. But, but but this is amazing. Like, one of my favorite things I've read in a long time. I have We have Action Movie Quote Friday, and I love it. Uh, it's, it's just fun for me because I get to, every time you call and you throw out the quote, I get to think of my favorite action movies, and it often turns into a, a discourse of sorts on that. Um, oh, 
And also, I'm doing Facebook Live at 3 o'clock today because some of you have requested it, and I have been uh, not doing enough Facebook Live. I, I admit it, and I agree. So we're going to do some Facebook Live at 3 Eastern today. So if you're listening, uh, just go on the Blazes Facebook page or on uh, my Facebook page, facebook.com slash buck-sexton. Or buck, no, Buck Sexton, not buck-sexton, just Buck Sexton. Okay, I found this out yesterday, and it was amazing. I got so excited, and it brings me back to being like a 13, 14-year-old, hanging out at my parents' apartment here in New York with my two brothers. And we watched Bloodsport, uh, which is Jean-Claude Van Damme's best movie. And I don't think there's really a debate to be had on that, but we watched Bloodsport so many times that we can do whole scenes, and we've done it sometimes. We'll just sit down and work. Somebody will throw out a Bloodsport quote, and then the rest of us will just be other characters from Bloodsport. We can just do the movie. We, we can have a sort of three-man show, the three brothers. Uh, and if you don't know what the three, if you want to see the three brothers, by the way, you go on Instagram where I posted the photo. Uh, if you follow me, Buck Sexton, on Instagram, you'll see fun photos. My two very, my two very handsome brothers. I, I, I aspire, uh, I aspire to have the uh, suave, uh, stylish demeanor of my two brothers. But Bloodsport, this is amazing. This is from. The New Yorker in 1997, a guy writing a piece on Donald Trump. Here's how it goes. The solid gold fixtures and hardware, sinks, seatbelt clasp, door hinges, screws, well-stocked bar and larder, queen-size bed and bidet, easily outfitted with a leather cushion cover in case of certain turbulence, implied hedonistic possibilities. The plane, this is about Trump's plane back in 97. The plane often ferried high rollers to Atlantic City, but I witnessed only good, clean fun. We hadn't been airborne long when Trump declined or decided to watch a movie. He'd brought along Michael, a recent release, but 20 minutes after popping it into the VCR, he got bored and switched to an old favorite, a Jean-Claude Van Damme slugfest called Bloodsport, which he pronounced an incredible, fantastic movie. By assigning to his son the task of fast-forwarding through all the plot exposition, Trump's goal being to get this two-hour movie down to 45 minutes, he eliminated any lulls between the nose-hammering, kidney-tenderizing, and shin-whacking when a beefy bad guy who was about to squish a normal-sized guy uh, received a crippling blow to the scrotum. I laughed. Admit it, you're laughing, Trump shouted. You want to write that Donald Trump was loving this ridiculous Jean-Claude Van Damme movie, but are you willing to put in there that you were loving it too? I'm willing to put in there that I love Bloodsport. And I have to tell you, if I had known that Trump celebrated Bloodsport in this way, I was such a fan of what is really just a ripoff of the true martial arts classic, Enter the Dragon with Bruce Lee, side note. But if I had known that he loved Bloodsport, I would have been like, America, it's all going to be okay. It's all going to be okay. He loves Bloodsport, which is Jean-Claude Van Damme's best movie. Which is also, by the way, we could do the If It Were Real. It is a ridiculous movie, but it's amazing at the same time. So fun to watch. Um, probably on Netflix or something. Check it out if you want to. Uh, and the fight scenes are kind of ridiculous. You know what? Endless high kicks from what I've seen on the street myself. Not a good idea, team. Not good. You're listening to Buck Sexton on the Blaze Radio Network.